0: In dogs, the number one risk factor for arthritis is obesity, and the number one risk factor for cats is age. So all old cats have arthritis, (laughs) but we got to convince our owners of it.
1: Old cats do not get the medical attention they deserve. This book could help change that. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today's returning guest is Dr. Mary Gardner, author of the new book, Nine Lives Are Not Long Enough, A Practical Guide to Caring for Your Geriatric Cat. If you read this book as a veterinary professional, well, sure, you probably know a lot of this stuff. Not all of it, but do your clients. Do your clients know how to make home life better for cats as they age? your clients know how good old cats are at hiding their discomfort, at moving around, eating on those painful teeth, feeling worse and worse? Are you sure? Well, Dr. Gardner's new book could help. Okay, so your first book about geriatric pets was about dogs. And I love dogs. And obviously there are dogs everywhere and people love their dogs. But I'm a cat person. I grew up with cats. And cats getting old, I grew up in an era in the 80s where cats getting old, and I'm sure many veterinarians can relate to this too, cats just got, they got a little creaky, they got a little rickety, they didn't like to jump up anymore, they didn't eat as much, they didn't meow as much, they didn't want to play, they lied around all the time, you're like, well, the cat's just getting old, it's no big deal. And so the fact that there could be care and that you could sort of enrich this back half or this back quarter of a cat's life is sort of craziness. So tell me, what was your approach approaching this new book about geriatric cats? How did you hope cat owners would use it to either fight through their myths or figure out, you know, what they could do?
0: I like that. Fight through the myths. Well, first off, I have to say, I am also an 80s girl. And the same thing with my family cats. They're just, ah, eh, he was getting old. Were
1: your cats indoor-outdoor? My cats are indoor-outdoor.
0: 100% indoor-outdoor. Yeah, right. And right now, if you said that, I'll get, you know, battered that that was a thing and And you know what? If I lived out in the country, they would be indoor-outdoor still, probably, right? Like, But I'm suburbia, and that's just not the way it is. But back then, 100%. And dare I say, and I might even get now more criticized, my family dog was 10-foot leash tied to a dog house out back, right? Like that's what it was in the 70s and 80s. Right Now my dog is you know, right next to me on the couch. So (laughs) with his own, you know, blankie and everything. So but the cats. So about the book, you know, we have a lot of information for dogs. And I feel like cats, they do get the short end of the stick with some recognition. And even with research that's done, we do so much for dog research. But with cats, you know, it's less apparent out there. It's less abundant, if you will. So I have always wanted to do both species. When I wrote them, actually, I was writing them together at the same time. So when I was researching vision, I was looking at both dogs and cats. When I was researching arthritis, both dogs and cats. But I just knew I had to attack one at a time when it came oh, right. to actually publishing them. <laughs> so it's not that the cats were a second in my mind. It was just publishing takes a lot. So my goal is for these old rickety cats, right? Like that are just not you know laying in their sunbeam anymore or going up on the couch as easily. Or maybe a little bit finicky eater. Like, there's a lot that we could do to help them feel better. They don't complain as much as dogs. Well, I mean, I think they complain all the time from
1: like day one. The routine thing, the and it's not a cliche; it's a reality. Is that cats, because of how they grew up in the wild, hide their illness because they're at danger of predators or at danger of being found out that they're that they could be eaten. Right. So they that's hide, a theory. and they're hiding it from us.
0: Yeah, that's that's totally a theory. I I literally think they're like. Dogs don't complain as much either as humans, but what happens is dogs are a little bit more a part of our lifestyle. So we are walking dogs. You know, they're prancing around in the kitchen when you're feeding them. So you see the changes a little bit more apparent. You see that they're not walking as much. You see that you have to help them get in the car, things like that. You're not helping your cat get up onto the cat tree usually. So we just have a different relationship with our dogs and cats. And dogs do whine more, you know, versus cats don't really whine that much. So I just think they kind of do themselves in with
1: like not complaining, like they should get the memo. Cats are too stoic. They go and they go hide somewhere and then suffer silently and like they shouldn't do that. Yeah. And they really shouldn't. They should be
0: like, yo, <laughs> like I got some issues. But that is such stuff I talk in my book is what could we look at them physically, though? you know, is their hair standing up on their back more? That could be a sign of arthritis in their spine. Are they not grooming themselves? And it's not just because he's getting old. It's because he literally can't get back there to groom himself. We've got grimace scales. So for looking at pain, there's pain grimace scales now that that we have that looks at their face and showing signs of pain there. And then just also their behavior are they taking a little bit longer to get off the couch? A cat should bounce off the couch. When they're ready to get down, boom, they're down. If they're like you know trying slowly to get down off the couch, that's probably a sign and and it's not just, I mean, yes, they're getting old, but that doesn't mean they don't need help. I also get off the couch a little bit differently. Right. <laughs> It doesn't mean Mary doesn't need help. Like maybe we could make some adjustments. And so there's a number of things in the book that I wanted to go over. But one of them is recognizing the sign of discomfort and challenges that our cats have because we just don't recognize it as well as dogs.
1: Can I ask about the sort of triad of care that happens inside the exam room? So someone brings a cat in and may or may not, it's an older cat. It may or may not be having issues. The pet owner recognizes or the doctor, and the cat's not showing it. What are things you hope happen when someone brings an older cat in? What are things you hope are thought about by pet owners when they go in to ask their veterinarian and things you hope veterinarians ask the pet owners as this cat ages? I love this, okay. I know my cat literally has walked in front. I told you the cat was gonna walk in front of the microphone. Your Uh, cat's like, did you call me? I heard you're talking about me. I heard the word cat. Yeah, I heard you talking. Therefore, you
0: are talking about me. Okay, Brendan, I'm so glad you asked this because I think a really important thing that a clinic can do, and it's so easy, is create a um, senior or geriatric questionnaire that is emailed to the family before their visit. And this goes for both species, but we're going to talk about cats. And I think it should ask questions. And I have a sample of it in my book.
1: Okay, so a pre-exam interview slash checklist. Or think about this, and then come and we'll talk about it. Yes! 100%.
0: hundred percent like we ourselves should have that from our doctors, and some good doctors do send it, but it then gives the family a week or a few days to like watch their pet and see some things that you might be asking. and it may be as simple as, okay, they're not covering their litter. We always focus on them not going in their litter box, sorry, they're not covering right. their litter. They're not covering their poop or pee with the, yes. with the litter, right, right. right. We always know, okay, are they going in their litter box? Yes, but are they covering their poop or pee? That's different, and we should ask that because then the family might stick their head in the box. And say like, oh, actually no, there's a pile of poop with no litter over it. Right. right. So, so I think a pre-exam questionnaire is massive. And I I saw Eric Garcia did a, a lecture where he said that I think it was it was great percentages, like sixty percent more effective, efficient appointments, greater you know ACT, like all these great things if you do a pre-evaluation questionnaire. So. Okay kick that out to any cat that's at least double digits. I would say eight years actually is when if they're eight years or older, send out a a pre-exam questionnaire. I mean, every cat should get it regardless, but this is
1: then focused on seniors. Because I, I know what happens. It happens at the doctor and it happens with pet owners in the exam room where you come in and maybe you have one thing in your mind or you don't have anything in particular. And so the doctor always asks you a few questions about stuff, but then do you have any questions? And you're like... I didn't think of anything because I didn't sort of think of my cat holistically, about everything my cat does over the course of a standard month or year, it's hard to process that. I hadn't thought it through. No,
0: I myself, I have a little notepad that I keep track of all the things I want to ask my doctor the next time I see him, (laughs) right? Like, and I just keep track of it, but nobody ever does that. I'm just a little crazy OCD, but I like to do that. So. You forget and also the doctor may talk to you about something and then you get distracted. So you forget about the one thing that you wanted to talk about or you don't think it's significant. You know what one thing so many people just chalk up to old age and is cognitive dysfunction, whether that's feline or canine cognitive dysfunction. They're they're howling a little bit more at night or they're like whatever. They're staring off in the distance more. they may not recognize you as well. These are such subtle signs. And it is vital we treat them sooner than later because the earlier we start treatment, and uh, you know, I know this isn't about medicine, but the better they'll be, and the longer they'll live, and the longer they'll have a better life. So you have to ask these things that that families may not think is an issue, and they're like, "Oh, he's just getting older; it's no big deal." But they're like, "Oh, I never thought about that." When he's just, you know, they're standing at the door, but they're actually on the wrong side of the door, like the hinged side of the door, because they want to go out. Like they're standing at the wrong side, you may not realize that that's actually a problem. They should know what side is the right side that opens right. and when they're on the wrong side. So you should be asking all these questions. And if it all comes back, no, that's great. The other thing is osteoarthritis. So an OA checklist, which is a little bit separate from behavior, but similar too. So you know, are they on their scratching posts? Are they able to get up to their sunny spot? Things like that. Because in dogs, the number one risk factor for arthritis is obesity. And the number one risk factor for cats is age. So all old cats have arthritis, basically. <laughs> but we got to convince our owners of it because they may not see that, you know, oh, he's just getting old. He doesn't care to play with his scratching post anymore. No, that hurts. That's why he's not scratching.
1: How often, so in, in your experiences, when you're talking to people about older cats or you hear other vets come to you and say the experiences they've had in the exam room talking about older cats... I think people will complain, well, the pet owners come in sometimes and it's just the dog gets all the attention. The dog gets all the money and the people are just kind of more nonchalant about the cat. As you said, the cat doesn't need to go to the park. The cat doesn't need to go on hikes. The cat doesn't need to jump around in the yard with the kids. The cat's just inside. You play with it. If you feel like it, you don't. It sleeps. It eats. It walks around. It meows. And it does that when it's one. And it does that when it's 12. It kind of does the same things. Do I need to adjust the cost? Like you mentioned osteoarthritis, the cost of supplements, the cost of treatments, like the cat seems fine. It walks around. It can't get up on the couch anymore or whatever. But is that such a big deal? So I'm wondering about money and the attitude toward the cat, how much that impacts.
0: Okay. Yes. And oh, Dr. Brennan, you want me to now pill my cat? The cat's (laughs) fine. And now you want me to shove something down its throat, but that I don't even think it needs? Like, you're crazy. So yeah, there is absolutely a, a discord between... What dogs get and what cats get. And, you know, as you were saying this, I also was thinking it, that information, that questionnaire should not go out pre appointment. That should be going out all the time. So if they're not making an appointment, they're never gonna get this questionnaire, right? So actually, this should go out in a newsletter and what a, a separate thing. Bing, their birthday hits at eight, you know, eight years old or nine years old, whatever you, you send them, hey, you know, Fluffy's just turned eight. That's great. Here's a little questionnaire. To have them thinking about it, because if they're not making the appointments, they're not going to get this questionnaire. And so I think we need to proactively go after them and not just say, hey, Rusty's now eight, so we need to do blood work and x-rays. Because they're going to say, you want me to spend 400 bucks on this cat that's not really giving me a problem? But if you highlight the problems and say, hey, these are the things you should be looking out for. And when he comes in, we will be doing some blood work and x-rays to, you know, figure out what the problem is. But I think just to say, come in for some stuff so we can uncover your problems, it's like, like, that makes no
1: sense. Like, (laughs) okay, so you're saying, uh, putting that checklist out to say, not just say you need to come in so we can see if we can find a problem, but to make them more aware, you are noticing these problems, but you're not registering them as problems
0: yet they're not registering or they're just saying he's old. And that was what your messaging needs to say is, okay, yes, they're a problem because he's old, but it doesn't mean we should ignore it. And whether it is medications to give or it's simply talking about what ramps to use to, you know, by the side of your couch, what sticky stuff to use on the floor so that way they have better footing. It's, you know, it's not always about the medications. It's also about just changing your environment to make them easier to get up or down, or maybe different, you know, grooming products to use and things like that. I don't know if, and one of the things that I've seen over the years is that not all veterinary practices know what products to recommend. Okay. Outside of the typical medications, right? So... So that's where a lot of my lectures, I, I'm like, hey, it's home hacks. Like these are the the diapers that I found to be the best. These are the you know the footwear or whatever it may be, the the grooming products, the stairs, whatever. So, and that's where a lot of my book. I don't really talk medicine. I talk about practical care for the cat and what could we be recommending to them. And I think even having that on somebody's website, I love the fact that clinics don't just say you know, blood work and x-rays, but say, Hey, if your cat is having mobility issues, these are some products or ideas that we recommend. And even if you don't, you know, link to a product, you can have pictures. People send me pictures, strangers send me pictures of their cats (laughs) and the stuff that they've created for their cat. And it's fantastic. And I'm like, Hey, can I share that on my social? They're like, yes, you know, They want their cat to be a star. And so you could ask your families, hey, if if anybody's been creative on their litter boxes or whatever it is, so we could share it on our website. So that way you're such a source of information. Like a website should be a source of information because families are searching and they're looking for stuff at, at midnight. And if they're Googling and finding another, you know, source of information, shame on you. Like it should be on your website.
2: Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. Poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetxinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two.
1: I bet we've talked about this before, and I would get the same thing from my doctor. So for instance, the doctor might say, let's say you need to, you need some enrichment. You need more exercise. Oh, well, what exercise should I choose? I don't know. Are there particular shoes that are good for knees or feet? I don't know. And it's the same thing the veterinarian. The veterinarian can tell you very specifically, your cat has osteoarthritis. We can provide these supplements. Your cat may have hurt, or really hurt a joint. It's going to need this surgery. Well, is there anything I should, is there a product, like you said, is there one ramp better than another? I don't know. I mean, so but, so is there a balance if the doctor, and I think that's happening because sometimes the doctors don't want to wade into the question because there's yeah. too many products out there. And honestly, they don't have any research to say which is better than the other. So they feel more comfortable not recommending or they feel like I'm not in the business of that. This is an ongoing thing since the entire time I've been in the veterinary profession. There's an ongoing argument about whether a hospital should provide more services than just what a human hospital does and more recommendations than a human hospital does. So it's a perpetual argument. So today, is. which do you think is the harder part? Doctors not wanting to recommend products or doctors like I don't have the information so I can't in good conscience recommend anything.
0: Right. I think it's twofold. And I think a lot of doctors don't want to recommend stuff if they don't have research. Everybody's like, validated, you know, quality of life scores. And I'm like, okay, quality of life is so subjective.
1: How are (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) you can't do double blind peer reviewed quality of life. That's difficult. Okay,
0: right. It's difficult. So I actually recommend so many products. And one thing that I make sure I do is I get no kickbacks. I'm adamant about this. And some of these products have offered me kickbacks and I'm like, nope, because I don't want to look like I'm trying to push a certain product. And I may not have tried certain things because I may not have had a three-legged dog. So I don't know what best harness to use, but somebody told me about it. And so I'm going to say, hey, somebody said this product's great for an amputee dog, right? Like, so I feel comfortable at least recommending things. And even for my own dog who had mobility issues, uh, like I bought eight different footwear for her because I had to keep trying them. <laughs> right. Because her issue, she needed X product, where another dog met this B product would have been fine. Right. So so I do think veterinarians, we are not taught about what products in vet school. So I think they don't know and so they want like double blinded you know studies on stuff and like whatever. And then it, it is like, do we sell products? And, and I go to many clinics and I see that they sell stuff. They sell food and supplements, but some of them sell like books and cards and this and that. And okay, fine. But honestly, if you were to sell some management products, I think that would go a long way. And they just don't know what they don't know. Or if you don't want to have the inventory, because that's tough too, is carry an inventory. I mean, you could carry my book. That's... <laughs> <laughs> It's from a veterinarian. I mean, why not? No, but (laughs) have the resources available on your website or a document you could email with hyperlinks to pages and things like that. So that way it gives them ideas. And in my book, I truly do have a ton of resources on each chapter. So if you've got a cat with vision issues, here's some products. Here's some night lights that I recommend, whatever, right? So enrichment toys, cognitive dysfunction is massive in cats too. So here's some enrichment toys to recommend. And it's okay to have that on your website. You know, you just want to make sure that they're, that they're proper link, hyperlinks, and they're not dead links and things like that. And we don't want to get geeky here on on websites. But why not have that? Because I think if I went to my doctor, and I actually went to my doctor this morning, and if he says, hey, Mary, you know, you should start taking melatonin. What melatonin do you recommend I take? Correct. <laughs> Oh, or or you just say, hey, pet owner, you should, you know, you could use peanut butter for this. Well, make sure it doesn't have, you know, the ingredients that could cause issues. So it's okay to recommend stuff.
1: Like, I just think we're so cautious nowadays. So I'll just play devil's advocate on this product thing. Again, you a couple of the things you mentioned, cognitive dysfunction and osteoarthritis. I feel like in some cases, there's very clear medical interventions. But it the spectrum goes all the way to what people would call Uh, It's snake oil, like maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Some of my pet owners say it works. Some of them say they don't see any results. And so it goes from this level of like the medicine all the way out to the stuff that's really like, there's no proof that this works. How do you in so looking at these issues? the doctor's place. What is the doctor's place in recommending people? Like you mentioned cognitive dysfunction. They're probably medical interventions. So maybe you keep a typical medical intervention. Someone might recommend if they find out a cat is seems like it has cognitive dysfunction. And then all the way to, as you just said, just the same thing you needed the, the equivalent of a smartphone app for you. You know, they give you a smartphone app so You can take brain tests. The play more is going to is going to be the brain test to help your cat.
0: And you're right. There are some snake oil things out there, right? So and you know what? I'm not necessarily opposed to recommending some snake oil, but let me give a caveat before everyone starts to, you know.
1: <laughs> Okay.
0: as long as it doesn't do damage, Okay. medical or physical damage to the pet, because some of the things we do is for the owner, is for the caregiver. They want to have a job. They want to be helpful. And I don't know if it's helpful or not to the pet. I know it's not going to do any damage, but if you want to circle a piece of quartz over their belly every day, go for it. <laughs>
1: Right, And I don't mind because I don't know. You know what? They haven't disproven prayer yet either. If they want the $250 laser pointer that turns on and off automatically and they don't just want the $5, makes them feel better to have this one that they interact more with the cat. Great. Great. Right. I'm
0: not going to promise anything. I will certainly say I have not seen any, any evidence on this. I mean, there's supplements out there, right? That everyone says, oh, you know, chondroitin, you know, well, there's no actual evidence. It's actually proven that it doesn't work. Yet people still want it in their food. So what are we to do? Here's another great example. And people are going to think I'm absolutely, you know, lost it. But pet communicators. I don't like them before the pet passes because I've had some pet communicators be like, oh, Rusty's feeling good. And I'm like, "Uh, Rusty totally has arthritis. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Afterwards, though, if talking to a communicator helps you think that you're talking to your cat over the rainbow bridge... I know a couple people's names, like you could go talk to them. And if that helps you with closure, I'm fine with that, right? So just like making a, a rainbow bridge card, you know, or a donation somewhere makes somebody feel good, I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. But what I won't do is make sure that it's, it's detrimental to the pet. So if you're going to talk to an animal communicator, I want you to make sure that there's also scientific research to show that your cat has arthritis, just because... <laughs> Lucy, the communicator, says your cat's saying, fine, I'm
1: going to challenge that. So when it, when it comes to products, you really do settle on, and it's a reasonable benchmark for the doctor, do no harm. So whatever is done, we can't guarantee this will have a benefit. But at the very least, we can guarantee if you want to do it, that it won't, I can tell you it won't harm. We know that.
0: It won't harm. And I got, you know, like I was a little nervous when I was making my book. I talked to my lawyer because I said, you know, I I recommend Instead of baby gates, if you want to block off a pet from going downstairs or something like that, baby gates are, are like, a, or, or down a certain hallway, baby gates are, are large, they're difficult, they're, you know. So I like shower curtain rods. You put a couple of shower curtain rods or like, you know, the twisty, you know, for curtain yeah, yeah. rods. I was like, throw a couple of those. The cat's not jumping over six feet things anymore. Like it's, it's an arthritic <laughs> little potato chip. It just needs a couple of, of little blocking. And I'm like, hey, lawyer, what if somebody trips over this... The tension rod, like a human trips over the tension rods. Am I going to get sued because I mentioned tension rods? You know, this is right. like, hey, the coffee's hot. You know, the, the iron is hot. Do I need a label on these things? So he's, he's like, no, like there should be some common sense stuff. <laughs> but I do say like there's been no no proof, but it also is not going to – there's no proof that it harms, so it's okay. People are honestly looking for
1: what litter box to use. Yes, This is right. it's so easy. In the book, where do you – it's interesting you mentioned pet communicator, so especially after the fact, if you're dealing with grief, so that is after an animal is passed. In the book, is there a particular condition or a particular situation, medical diagnosis, that meant that this is the point at which there is deviation and difficulty around the issue of, is the cat so old and has such situations that now you're leaning toward palliative hospice euthanasia? Have you noticed, because you've done so much euthanasia work, Do you notice a difference between cat and dog liners in their processing about when a cat or dog is reaching the end of its life and it's not time to keep pursuing medical treatment? It's that change. Have you noticed a difference between cats and dogs and did that influence in any way how you talked about it in the book?
0: This is definitely unscientifically proven, right? Like I can't say this in Java. Anecdotal. Okay. Yeah, totally anecdotal. Usually more people want their cats to die on their own. Like they they're expecting them to crawl up in a little potato chip. That's and die how I grew them. up.
1: It goes off. I literally the cat goes outside it, it and it disappears for a while, and then later you find the cat was dead or you find it curled up. It's not. It's still alive. It's dying. But it's barely moving under a bush, right? It yeah, just went off. barely uh,
0: moving. Yeah. And people might say that about some dogs, but the dogs are bigger. The dogs are are, you know, you're dealing with the dog. They can't move. They're peeing on the floor because they're laying in the you know, it's just a different, such a different dynamic. Where a cat, they're gonna be like, oh, he's hiding in the closet. Let's just let Mother Nature do it. Right. right. Like uh, that's not good. So I absolutely talk about palliative care. I have a whole chapter, because you know, I, I quality of life assessment is like my jam. I love doing that. So I of course have a whole chapter on that specific to cats because there's so many quality of life score, you know, scoring systems out there, but but they're generalized for both species. And it, it you know, you, you really have to think about a cat's lifestyle when you're doing quality of life, and also the caregiver. Because it's a lot to manage a pet, you know, big or small. It's a lot to deal with. I, I have a call later today with a, a girl who's got a diabetic cat. And she's like, I, it's not just the money. And I've spent $1,200 already this year, 10000 last year. She's like, not about that. It's my stress. I can't go anywhere. No one else can give the insulin. And her quality of life is horrible. And she's like, and then it's, you know, it's unregulated. So what am I going to do? So this is, I can't wait for this conversation because I'm all over this. But so I definitely talk about a chapter on helping families assess quality of life because a lot of veterinarians, they're not
1: as, that's not their jam. Wait, can I ask one bit because you mentioned the quality of life assessment and you mentioned how it might be a little different for the species. They get sort of lumped together. I see that with also with human beings, but human beings at different stages of their life, their quality of life assessment might look different. And I feel like it's the same thing with these species. Is there an an example you can think of in a quality of life assessment where the cat and the dog deviate about how important this metric is?
0: Okay. So I, you know, the obvious one is mobility because a dog needs to, you know, and I hate to say this because a cat needs to move too, right? A cat 100% needs to move too. Let me just try to think. So, you know, I I changed the wording a lot in the line items also incontinence is, is different in dogs than it is in cats. Like it's, I mean, although no one wants a cat pee in somewhere and that, it's right. just,
1: that's just horrific,
0: <laughs> but I, I've the lived size, that. I know
1: what you mean. Yeah.
0: Right. The size is different. Right. So that's a great question. And I'm trying to think of all the categories that I have that I'm talking about, like appetite and things like that, where it's just the way that I ask the questions are a bit different and it's the lifestyle, so they're they're literally doing different things. Their enjoyment, what a cat enjoys doing, is very different. And and you know, laying on the couch next to you may be the joy of their life. Butting the, his head on your microphone is the joy of your cat's life, right? Apparently. And when they stop doing that, that's a problem, right? When my dog stopped caring about the Goodyear blimp that flew over my house. <laughs> to protect his yard. Like that was a really big that was a really big deal to him. But my cat, she didn't care about that. And (laughs) so it's it's actually so individualized, not just species, but pet. And caregiving is is a big struggle for everybody, like I said. It might be slightly physically easier with a cat. Time-wise though, it's still a lot. It's it's emotional, it's still a lot. For those cat lovers out there, and you and I are them, like I mourned my cat loss just as much. As anybody else. So, or my other my dogs, like mourned it hard. So I definitely concentrate on hospice and, and what palliative care means and what palliative care means at end of life. Because palliative care can be at, at any life stage. Right. In hospice, you're not pursuing curative options. And that's totally okay. And I don't want people to have guilty feelings about and you know discontinuing things. As long as we manage them, their pain and you know, anxiety and comfort levels, then I'm
1: fine with that. So I also figured, so you strike me, I've talked to you many years, you strike me as a bit of an optimist. So you may have an optimistic answer to this question. Some people get frustrated. So for instance, there are people who focused on cats who over time just got frustrated because they'd start getting mad at the culture and the pet owners that didn't value these cats as much as dogs. And eventually they get cynical and bitter and resentful about that. (laughs) How do you see people shifting attitude toward cats? And do you see it as 100% 100% positive. I see people spending more money on cats and they're more attentive to their cats and the cats are now just as important as dogs. Or are you still also a little cagey about like, I just don't see cats. They just, how come they don't rise to the level of the dog in the importance many people invest in, in it? First up,
0: I would agree with you that I am the optimist. I okay. am
1: glass is full
0: when there's only two drops in it. Like I'm like, yep. I've got enough for me. So I am definitely an optimist. Do I see a shift? It's a tiny one still though.
1: Okay.
0: Even Brandon, just in book sales. My my dog book sales are better than my cat book sales, if you just want to look at that, right? My right. cat journal doesn't do as well. My dog journal. It's so I'm not saying that cat owners don't love their pets as much. I just I still don't think they've been been marketed to, been messaged to enough yet. You know, I think there's more cat owners out there. There's more cats, I think, out there. Like, it always fluctuates. I don't know now with the pandemic, like, who's who's got the title? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. But Most certainly least. very close. Yeah. So why is there such a disparity of them coming in? I really, I look around at marketing, and we market so much for adult animals. You go to the next conference and show me a, a crusty old cat as a model, and I'll, I'll pay you 10 bucks because there's... <laughs> I'll pay a hundred bucks because I don't see it, right. and it's and then what we don't do is we we don't always focus on just the general ailments that that happen when a cat's old. We may just focus on thyroid and diabetes, like and that's it, right? And right. There's so much more, so I just don't think they. I don't think we're doing a good job marketing to it because I think the care is the same. I will get emails from cat owners that some people will be like, my gosh, like it's like today, I have to talk to this diabetic cat owner and tomorrow a learned or paralysis dog owner. Like they, and they will do, the world is my cat. And so they love them. Just like horse owners, they love their horses. They will go, go into massive grief over their animals. But I just don't think we've done, I think we have an opportunity. There I am, I'm being optimistic. I think we have mm-hmm. an opportunity
1: to do better marketing and help them out. So uh, the marketing, I think that's something that to do more and more because I think the knowledge. I think always the the impression for medical professionals is, I know this stuff. I told you this stuff, and yet you don't seem to value the shift enough. You don't want to take the time, or you don't want to spend the money, or you just don't value it as much. And so then it becomes like, well, I told you the thing, so now I'm done. So I am also hopeful and optimistic about put money and time behind marketing how important this stuff is and sell people on it, as opposed to just saying, you know, your cat has arthritis. Be like, oh, okay. But then sell them on it.
0: Sell them on it. And you know, thank God there's new products out there like Silencio, which is the once a month injectable. So we it's an easy thing to say, let's just see how he does. And like the feedback has been amazing. I also think it's vital that we find out what's most important to an owner versus just what we see as doctors for the the pain, let's say. So we might see a cat like really arthritic and painful and stuff like that, but If we don't ask the owner, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing? Because it may be at two o'clock in the evening that that cat is, you know, because he got cognitive and we don't see that. They look like totally fine. And we don't address that. That cat's going to get euthanized because of cognitive dysfunction, not because of arthritis. So I think we can have a really good conversation with owners when we say, what is the biggest challenge with you as a caregiver? Like. When have you ever been asked that at a vet clinic? What's the biggest challenge as a caregiver? We always say, what's going on with your dog? But what's going on with you, man? Right? Like, are you able to stand there and hold your pet up while they're eating? No, that's hard for me. I physically can't do that. And then I feel guilty because I can't hold my cat up in front of the food bowl. I always say this in front of all my talks. Number one rule, no judgment. Because... What I would do for my cats was very different what some other owners would do in both directions, right? Like some people say, I go a little too much for my animals.
1: See more about all these geriatric pet books and at-home journals for clients at drmarygardner.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave a review, tell your friends in Vet Med about us, and remember, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to solving your leadership headaches in our VetX Leaders Community. Learn more at drdavennickel.com. And until next time, just want you to know, I appreciate you.